uh, just uh, by way of introduction to Luke chapter 14, I'd set it up this way. I heard the story of a, uh, of a young army private. Um, he, he was at a local army base. He worked in the armory there. And, uh, and one day he gets a phone call. And uh, the guy on the other end, he wants to know, hey, uh, what's your armament? What do you, what's, what's your inventory there? And uh, he says, well, we, uh, we've got 400 tanks. Uh, we've got uh, about 500 Humvees. Uh, we got a 1,000 uh, rifles. Uh, we've got 50,000 rounds of ammunition. And, uh, and he said, oh, and we've got two Cadillacs for when the fat generals come. And uh, the, the silence for a minute on the other end. And then he says, son, do you know who this is? He says, no. He says, this is General Smith. And so the private says, uh, General, do you know who this is? And he says, no. He says, see you later, fatty. <laughs> Now, the story hinges on the question, do you know who I am, right? And this kid was glad that the general didn't know who he was, but the people in our text today, in Luke chapter 14, they want everybody to know who they are. Their attitude is, don't you know who I am? right? It's one of pride. It's one of arrogance. And, you know, everything to them revolved around status and social position and on outward appearances. And, um, and if you wanted to be in their religious club and you wanted to maintain your status, then you had to follow their rules. You had to toe their line. Uh, you had to play their game. Right? That's what they were all about. And once again, Jesus, he ain't about that. He's about to throw a wrench into that whole thing. He's going to upend their hypocrisy and challenge their priorities. And really the theme of our text today, it's all about humility and meekness. Jesus is going to be talking about the kingdom of God. He's going to be talking about how we ought to live our life. And, and the key verse is going to be in verse 11 once we get there, where Jesus is going to say, whoever humbles himself is going to be exalted. But, but whoever exalts himself is going to be humbled, right? It's been said that God has plan A, which is humility, and he has plan B, which is humiliation, right? And, uh, and so that's really kind of the big idea here. We'll jump right in. Uh, Luke 14, hope you're there now. Verse 1, now it happened as he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely, and behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. Now we, in today's vernacular, we would call this edema. This is an abnormal collection of bodily fluids. It would cause your face to swell up, your hands, your feet to swell up. And it's most likely that this man was suffering from uh, congestive heart failure. Um, and so the heart muscle begins to fail. It can't regulate, it can't circulate your blood as effectively, and the blood begins to back up. And so as the, the heart receives the blood from the lungs and then, you know, that it's oxygenated, goes into the heart, and then it pumps it out to the rest of the system, well, what happens is as the blood backs up, the blood begins to pool in your lungs. And so you really are drowning is what you're doing in this situation. So it can be life-threatening. And, uh, and so that's probably what's going on here with this guy. So um, behold... This man is in front of Jesus with this condition. And Jesus, verse 3, answering, spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. 
And he took him and he healed him and he let him go. And then he answering them, saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day, we've already seen that these guys, they're, they're wigged out about the Sabbath, lots of rules, lots of regulations. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But basically, uh, Jesus is saying here, look, you, you got ways of wiggling yourself out of the man-made rules that you've made uh, to care for your, your, your animals. And, and, you know, how can you do that and not care about this poor guy here? That's kind of the attitude that's going on. And they could not answer him regarding these things, verse 6 tells us. You'll recall a couple of weeks ago when we were in Luke chapter 13, really the idea there, and, and kind of a continuation today, the focus was on what should the church be like? What kind of people should, be, should we be? What, what, what should be the spirit in which we operate? And the idea is that church isn't a club. It's not about, you know, what we do on Sunday and then we go about, you know, our merry way. That, that there, there needs to be a spirit of love that operates here. That it needs to be something real that's going down here. And what we saw in Luke chapter 13 was that there was a woman who also had a physical ailment. This gal, 18 years plus, just afflicted, had her literally bent over in this physical affliction, and she comes to God's house. She, she is casting her cares upon the Lord. She wants to meet God in his house, but rather than being met by people who are loving and caring and going to extend to her compassion, she's met instead by these very same harsh religious leaders that we're now reading about again in, in chapter 14. And, and they're more concerned with their religious rules than with loving compassion. And Jesus, you know, he encounters them once again. This time, he's not encountering these harsh religious guys with no compassion in God's house, as he did in chapter 13. No, now he's encountering them in their own house with their hardened hearts. And just hit the pause button right there and just, just want to focus your mind's eye to the text and to the lesson today and ask you, how about your house? You know, that, that we can come, you know, sometimes we come to church and we sort of put that mask on, right? I always like to joke, the guy coming to church and, you know, and, and it's, hey, get out of the way, you know, oh, move along. What, you know, the gas pedal's the skinny one on the right, you know. Uh, what, do you need a Boy Scout to help you across the street? Let's go, let's move it, you know. And then something magic happens when you get to the church driveway. All of a sudden it's like, oh, no, 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 you go. You go ahead, you know. And uh, my parking guys are saying, some people don't come into the lot like that, PT. Let me just tell you. Um, <laughs> so that was a parking guy in the back, I guarantee it. But, you know, so he's encountering them in their house, and, and it's still just this hardened heart, right? Now, the occasion that Jesus comes to the house, we're told it's a dinner party. He shows up, this dinner party is going on, and in Jesus' day, dinner parties were a big deal. This is where you built status, this is, it was all about being invited to the right homes, and, and sitting in the right places, and next to the right people, and all of this stuff, but their hearts are all wrong. They're all about being in the right place with the right people, but their hearts are all wrong. I want you to notice there again, verse 2, this guy... He's got, he's got this, this severe edema, dropsy, this condition, probably life-threatening. And in normal cases, 
They wouldn't invite this guy. They wouldn't associate with this guy. They wouldn't want to have anything to do with this guy. They would also probably be of the mindset that, oh man, you've got this physical affliction. Like what kind of sin do you got going on in your life? See, they just want to be around the winners. They just wanted to be around everybody who's got it going on on the outside. And Jesus, in the later section of the text, he would tell the, the Pharisees, you're like, you're like whitewashed tombs, man. You're all white and clean on the outside, and inside you're all full of dead men's bones. But they normally, they wouldn't have touched this guy with a 10-foot pole, wouldn't have wanted to have anything to do with him. But now here, miraculously, they've got him at this dinner, this elaborate dinner, and he's an invited guest. And what Jesus sees through and what becomes apparent is that he's not invited for any sort of motive of care and compassion. They invited him as bait. And they sit him right in front of Jesus because they know Jesus is going to have care and compassion on this guy. And he's going to heal him. And that's what they want to do. They want to set him up. And that's what verse 1 tells us. It says that they watched him closely. They, in the Greek, what that means is that they are watching him intently. It means sinister espionage is really what the translation of what that phrase, watched him closely, in the Greek. And the idea is that they were spying on Jesus with evil intent. John Trapp, in his commentary, he said they watched Jesus as intently as a dog watches for a bone. And what is it? Why are they doing that? Again, they've set a trap for Jesus. And, and they want to see, is he going to heal on the Sabbath day? As we saw and have seen over the last several chapters, these religious leaders, they've established all of these man-made rules on the Sabbath day. And this thing that God had intended to be a blessing for mankind, they had turned it into a burden by adding a bunch of man-made rules. And then they elevated their man-made rules and, and held it as Scripture. They basically said, you know, this, you're in sin if you don't keep our rules, if you don't, if you don't toe the line. And this event in particular reveals the extent of their hardened hearts. It's, it's even worse than what happened with the woman that we read last week. Because here this woman comes to, to, the, to the synagogue and isn't treated well. Here they've invited this man as bait. Like this afflicted, maybe dying man. No care, no compassion. We're just going to bait the hook with you so that we can have something to, 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 to hang Jesus with, literally. And, and, and so they, they're just, you can see the calculating hatred that, that they are filled with. So Jesus now, he just is Jesus. He goes right to challenging their religious hypocrisy. And notice he challenges it both with a question and with an answer. He asks them, first of all, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, in truth, understand, it absolutely was. Not according to their man-made laws, but according to God's law, absolutely, it was, it was, it was okay. It was, it was lawful for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. Number one, God has not, had not given any preclusions in His law for them to do that. And number two, the entire essence of God's law in the first place is driven by love. Jesus was asked the question, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God. And he said, there's a second commandment that is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he went on to say, these are the, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, what Jesus was saying is your whole Bible is summed up, love God, love others. 
Take the whole Bible, everything it has to say, it falls in one or of the other or both categories. Love God, love others. And so there was nothing illegal about what Jesus was about to do. But these religious leaders are not motivated by love. That, that's not how they tick. That's not how they operate. There's, there's, there's no loving action in what they're doing whatsoever. And Jesus, with his question, now he's got him over a barrel. Because if they said no, it's going to reveal that they're, you know, inhumane and hateful. Everybody there is, is it lawful to heal on Sabbath? No. Well, gosh, what, where's your care and compassion for this guy? It'll just show, you know, the, 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 just how inhumane they were. How filled with, with hate and precalculated malice that they were. And if they said yes, well, then they'd be breaking their own man-made laws uh, that they had governing the Sabbath that they said, hey, you can't do that. So, so they remain silent. They don't say anything. And so then Jesus follows up his question, challenging their hypocrisy with an action. He calls the man forward, heals him, and he releases him. It, you know, and you go, releases him from what? From, from this den of vipers here that he's sitting with. He's like, you just need to get out of here. And hey, this is not, you know, a good, a good place to be. So he heals the man. And I want you to notice that the text tells us twice that these two things that Jesus did, both the question that he asked and the action that he took to heal, Jesus did to answer their hypocrisy. Now, the funny thing is, is they never said anything verbally, did they? The text doesn't tell us that they asked a question. But Jesus, he sees right through their evil plan for what it is. It was, number one, a question. Are they going to play by our, is Jesus going to play by our rules or not? Is Jesus going to fall in line and conform? Is Jesus going to break uh, with the tradition? That's the question. And it's also a setup. It's a trap. Uh, You know, is he going to take the action and heal this man? So undeterred, Jesus answers Their question. He answers it with the question that he asks. He answers it with the action that he takes. And again, right there, we just want to hit the pause button. And let's just do a quick application right here. Sometimes issues of right and wrong are confusing for us as Christians. Sometimes issues of right and wrong are confusing. For example, uh, not too long ago, I had somebody actually ask me, hey, I've got a homosexual neighbor, and they've invited me over their house for dinner. Should I accept the invitation? And I said, well, Jesus actually was invited by a lot of people to dinner as well and accepted the invitation. Absolutely, you should, you should accept the invitation. See, it's, it, it's, it's helpful to answer two simple questions. When you're faced with a situation that you find confusing and you're torn between, you know, maybe a legalistic mindset versus, you know, where does grace and mercy fall... It's helpful to answer two simple questions in that scenario. Number one, ask yourself, what does love require? What does love require in this situation? And the quick second question that you want to ask yourself is, are the actions that I feel like I should take, like, oh, this is the more loving thing to do? Because sometimes we call things love which really aren't loving. Um, They're just the path of least resistance or whatever. So we want to ask, hey, what does love require? But secondly when I put feet on what I think it is that love is, well, what are the, do the actions that I'm going to take, do they line up with God's word and with the character of Christ? These are, these are the two things that, that we want to ask. These are the things that we want to take a walk with. So 
Jesus continues now with the parable. And he's turned his attention now to the invited guests. And there in verse 7, it says, So he told a parable to those who were invited. Here's the key. When he noted how they chose the best places. Right? So what Jesus is picking up on here is that they're all about the superficial. They're about, all about the exterior. They're all about the appearance and the status and all of this stuff. And, and they're really not paying attention to what it really truly means to walk in loving humility. So Jesus picks up on this. And he says to them, verse 8, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. In other words, Jesus says, don't take the best seat, because, you know, then somebody comes and says, you know, you're, you're, you're being proud and arrogant. That seat's not for you. You're, down, you're over there at the kids' table kind of thing, you know. And, uh, and so he says, but when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, uh, comes, he may say to you, friend, what are you sitting down here for? He says, uh, go up higher, um, and then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Here's the key. Forever exalts himself. By the way, the, the, the Greek is a continual exhorta- exhorta- exaltation of yourself. It, 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 he who continually exalts himself will be continually humbled. He who continually humbles himself, is what it reads in the Greek, uh, will himself, uh, will be exalted. And then he said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, uh, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. And this is going to motive. He's saying, look, you're, you're going to invite these different people not for a motive of you really care about them, but you're inviting these people because they represent opportunity to you. I'm going to invite the right people, so the right people will invite me back. That's the attitude that he's talking about. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor. Invite the maimed, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so, so the attitude, the idea here, understand dinner parties, big deal in Jesus' day. It's all about status. It's all about being at the right homes with the right people in the right place and so on and so forth. And Jesus is putting his finger here on the fact that their priorities were all wrong. That's what he's talking about. He's, not, he's saying, look, it, it, it's not about taking the best place. It's about taking the lowest place. Now, again, this is a parable. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, okay? And so, the, so Jesus isn't talking about dinner etiquette here. He's, he's giving a principle about the kingdom of God, all right? And, and so the, he's, he's saying, look, your, your attitude as Christians, your attitude as, you know, in, in your extending of love towards other people, it's not about taking the best place, it's about taking the lowest place. It's not about the, being in the right cliques, it's talking about loving care, that needs to be your heart. It's not about a self-centered focus on being served and on gaining personal advantage, it's about serving others, it's about being others-centered. 
And again, Jesus' point is not that having friends and family over is wrong. That's not what he's talking about. Basically, what he's saying is, look, everything that you do is for prestige and for your payoff and for your personal gain, and that's what's wrong. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, you guys are focusing on the wrong kingdom. You're focusing on the wrong kingdom. And that's why he says there in verses 13 and 14, and you got to see it, when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the maimed, the lame, the blind, and here's the emphasis, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus keeping that, inter- that eternal focus and saying this just needs to be the way that you conduct yourself. It needs to be a heart of love. It needs to be a heart of compassion. Now, let me illustrate what I'm talking about here um, with this example that just was given to me on a silver platter this morning. We're here uh, as the leaders for prayers. We always gather for prayer here before our services start. Worship the Lord. We have, we have time of devotion together. And, and as we're, we're breaking into prayer groups and praying, um, Jeff, who, who plays bass for us on our, our worship team, is playing bass today. His, as he was praying, it was just the, the prayer of, Lord, help us to be other-centered. Lord, help us, you know, to, to really be those that, that practice hospitality and, and see those people that are infirmed, those that are hurting, and help us to really truly love people. It was really this beautiful heart of what, what we were, you know, talking about back in Luke 13. That's what the church ought to be. We just, it's, not a, it's not a club. It's not a place where we kill an hour and a half on Sunday morning, feel good about ourselves. It's a place where we get you know, filled up so that we can go out and, and be, be sent out by God to minister to his people and love people in our circles of influence. And so, so after the, and by the way, these guys, for the most part, they don't know what I'm preaching today. I mean, they might have a general idea if they're reading ahead, but, but they don't know. that This is just a spirit-led kind of, cry of his heart. And I told him after the prayer, I said, dude, you just, you prayed the bullseye of what the message is all about today. And he said, let me tell you where that came from. He said, you know, <clears throat> I was, he goes, I, I do Krav Maga and, and I do it with a group of people. And, and I was there, you know, with, with the guys that I do Krav Maga with and there, I just butchered that, Daniel, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's easy for me to say. So he's, uh, he says, the guys that I do it with, there's this one kid, he's, he's, 20, he's like 23 years old, and he goes, I, th- I think he suffers from, from, from uh, Asperger's syndrome, um, but, there, but it's, it's just something a little different about him, and, and he's just, he's just a, a, you know, a different, he's an awkward guy, but, but my heart is for this guy, and, I, and we're just having a conversation. He says, and he asks me in, in conversation what I was doing for Christmas. He says, so I began to share with him what my Christmas plans were. And he said, he kind of got sad, and I said, uh, what's wrong? And he said, I've never been invited anywhere for Christmas. And Jeff's attitude, his response was, well, now you have. You're doing Christmas with us. You're going to spend Christmas with us. And, and I thought, that's what it's all about. That's so hard. It's not a, this guy has nothing to offer me, and, and you know, there's, I'm, there's nothing for me to gain from him, no, the attitude is, here's a person that needs to be loved and welcomed and encouraged. That's what Jesus is conveying here. That's what he's conveying here. And he's like, you guys are missing it. And again, just hitting that pause button for us by way of application. What, what kingdom are we focused on? What's your house look like? 
David Guzik, he said this, he says, it's wrong to only associate with people who can advance us or give something to us. He says, it's easy for us to limit our friends to a few comfortable people, easy people, instead of reaching out to others. Jesus here, he says, told us not to associate with people only on the basis of what they could do for us. That is self-centered living. We are called, he says, to follow Jesus, and he showed us others centered living. Again, let me ask you, is that you? Is that you? Um, it's, it's a humbling story to tell. Years ago, when, when I, I first came into the ministry, uh, 20, 26 years ago, whatever it was, it was, it was a difficult time financially for us, very humbling. Um, and, and I did not realize how painfully obvious it was to other people. And, uh, and I had a guy who, who attended our church, banker, man of means, wealth, and he invited me out to lunch. And so we go out to lunch, and he wants to meet me at this, like, this food court in the mall. I'm thinking, that's kind of weird. And so I get there, he says, hey, before we're getting lunch, um, I need to go somewhere, will you go with me? Yeah. Takes me across the way to a shoe store. And he says, I want you to pick out a pair of shoes. And, and I'm, I'm, two things happen in that moment. I'm mortified, number one. My pride, mortified. I did not realize it was that obvious. Number two, it was one of the nicest things that anybody ever did for me. I mean, I almost wanted to cry. This guy just, just buying me a pair of shoes. Just know it. And then he takes me to lunch, buys me lunch. And, and I'll remember that to the day I die. Just a simple thing. In fact, I, I had the occasion years later to marry his son. Uh, and, and so I'm doing the wedding ceremony. And um, it sounds weird to say it, right? I married his son. I, I'm a pastor. I do weddings, okay? <laughs> um. That occasion years later to officiate his son's wedding. <laughs> and uh, yeah, right. And so, uh, and so I, I pulled his, I, we were sitting there. It was just kind of a, a you know, a quiet moment, just, a, uh, just, a, just sort of an intimate moment. And I, I just, he, he, my friend sitting there, his son sitting there. I said, let me tell you a story about your dad. And his dad's turning all kinds of shades of, ra- of red as I'm telling the story. But I, but I told him, I said, you know, that's one of the, one of the most thoughtful things anybody's ever done for me. And I'll remember, I'll remember that till the day I die, just how, how it made me feel in the moment, how loved I felt. And, and I just, you know, I just want you guys to take a walk with, you know, what if, what if that's how we lived? Like, like what, what if? Like, that's the kind of people we aspired to be. And maybe you go, well, gosh, yeah, he's a banker. I don't have that kind of means. I can't do that kind of, I mean, the need's overwhelming. Like, how can I, how can I do that? Well, I would respond with the story, you know, the, that comes to my mind of the kid that's walking down the beach, you know, and thousands of starfish have washed up on the beach. They're all going to die out there. And this little kid's walking, and he's just picking up starfish and throwing them back in the ocean. And some, finally some adult looks at him, and he's like, you think you're going to make a difference? There's thousands of starfish here. And the kid throws another one out in the ocean. He says it made a difference to that one, right? 
And, and so, you know, you do for one what you'd like to do for all. But, but what if that's how we lived? And we need to take a walk with, is, is, is that who I am? Because that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. Again, to quote David Guzik, he says, there's something wonderful in giving a gift that can never be repaid. This is some of the more blessing that Jesus spoke of when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He says, this helps to explain some of the pleasure of God in giving the gift of salvation and blessing to his people, right? And and so this is kind of what we go on to see. This gift of God's salvation. We, we pick it up now, verse 15. It says, Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, this parable that he's telling, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, pause right there. That's a true statement. You know, because the, the many times in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about uh, people joining God in glory, and it couches it in terms of us partaking in a, in a great banquet. We see this as well in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. It says there in Revelation 19, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so, so the Bible speaks of terms of us gathering together with God in this banquet, and so <coughs> this man truly speaking a true statement, but it's also, it's quite possible, and in fact, when you look at the parable that Jesus is now going to tell, it kind of indicates that it's probable that when this man is articulating this, it, it's coming from an entitled mindset that we looked at last week. It's coming from a self-righteous Jew position where the attitude of the religious leaders at this time was, hey, I'm a descendant of the religious patriarchs of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and therefore I'm chosen and I'm going to heaven. And so this is that self-righteous position probably that this man is coming from. And the reason I say that is because of how Jesus now responds. He says, uh, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And again, this is is a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. And this is a key phrase. They began to make excuses. And Jesus is going to give us some examples here which show that their excuses were lame excuses, fabricated excuses. So they're invited. They began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask to have me excused. Now, what, you're going to expect it after you've bought it? Like you've already bought it, you know? And, and so that's kind of the, the, the attitude here. And the second one, verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. By the way, indicates the man's very rich. To have even one yoke of oxen you, would make you very wealthy. This guy says, I just bought five of them. And then what's he say? What's his excuse? I'm going to test them. No, you didn't. You didn't buy five ox, yoke of oxen without testing them first. You've already tested them, so that's just, that's just a lie. I, have, I, I ask you, he says, to please have me excused. Verse 20, still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I ain't touching that one. So verse 21. 
So that servant came and reported these things to his master, and then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you have commanded, and still there's more room. And then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You see the heart of God here? Because again, this is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The picture is of, of heaven, right? And, and he's saying, fill my house up. God is not an angry God who wants to fry everybody. He's a God of love who wants to save everybody. And so he, he says, compel them to, uh, to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Again, in Jesus' day, when you gave a feast, it was common practice that the first thing that would happen is you would extend this invitation. The invitation would go out, and people would then respond, either with an exception, you know, I'll accept this invitation, or, you know, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I, can't, I can't attend. And so, you know, you wanted to get the invitation and the response to it so you get a proper head count. We still do this today. Hey, we're, we're going to do a reliance orientation, we're going to provide lunch, Make sure you sign up because we want to know how much food to get, you know. Same thing here. And then what would happen is, you know, after the invitation had gone out and after people had responded, and this was weeks and weeks and weeks in advance, that after everybody had responded, then the, the, the master, the one who's throwing the feast, he would then go and prepare everything and do this elaborate preparation. And then once everything was ready... You know, he couldn't call up people, couldn't text people, couldn't send out an email. He'd send his servant to go tell everybody who had responded, saying, I, you know, I'm invited and yes, I'll attend. Servant would go and say, hey, it's dinner time, it's all ready. Come on, everybody, let, let, let's go. And so this is what's going down here. And we see in Jesus' parable, there are four characters, okay? Earthly story, heavenly meaning. We've got the host, the man giving the feast. We've got his servant, the one who goes out and to brings to, to gather in the invited guests. We have then the invited guests or, or the, the third party in this story. And the fourth party is the poor, the maimed, the lime, the blame, and those on the outskirts. Now, okay, earthly story, heavenly meaning. What's he talking about? Well, the man giving the feast in the parable is a picture of God the Father. Right? And what's in view here is a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hey, I'm preparing heaven, this great feast, right? That's, that's, that's the, the man giving the feast. The invited guests, this is a picture of the nation of Israel. The invitation had gone out to them. They were a chosen people. God had called them into a special relationship with himself. And he then raised up prophets who were to lead and to guide them. And through the prophets, he had given to them his invitation. Okay, and, and so that, that's the invited guest. Then we have the servant, and of course the servant is a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the one who goes out to gather everybody in, sent to call the invited guests. Paul talked about that in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, but when the fullness of the time had come, by the way, these are the verses I'm going to be preaching on at our Christmas services. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. But there's a problem in Jesus' story because the invited guests all gave their lame excuses. 
They all said, you know, hey, I got, stu- I got the stuff that's more important, Jesus. I got stuff that I, you know, I got business deals. I got, I got to take care of business. You know, I got family issues. My kids got soccer. You know, we're going to the river uh, later. We're going go to go down to Havasu, test out the boat, hang out with some friends. Going to Glamis, take the bikes out. We got that going on. You know, the NFL season's, you know, going full swing right now. Playoffs are coming, kind of. So they all got this sort of attitude. They got other priorities. And John the Apostle talks about this in in 1 John chapter 1. He says, Jesus came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But, he says, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And that is talking about this final group of people, those that accepted the invitation, the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, those on the outskirts. Who's this talking about? Look in the mirror. It's talking about us. We, we are the, the poor, the maimed, the blind, those on the outskirts. Now, for the Jews of the day, the context of the original story, the recipients of this parable that Jesus tells, this would have been shocking news. It would have been like, what on earth are you talking about? Because they would have, they would have understood what Jesus was saying. And what Jesus was saying was this, the salvation is also for the Gentiles. See, the Jews, they thought that they were God's chosen people and they thought Gentiles were only created by God as firewood to, flame, to, to fuel the fires of hell. That's literally what they thought. And this would have been a shocking revelation to them. And again, you and I, we are in this last group. It's talking about us. It's talking about God's grace and God's mercy. Paul talking to the Corinthians, he's talking about the acts of of those that don't have a relationship with God, the, the way that we all used to live. And then he says this, he says, some of you were once like that, after he mentioned several of the habits that, uh, that, that typify those outside of a saving faith in Christ. He says, some of you were like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, of our God. Listen to me very carefully as I close. The question is not, don't you know who I am? The question is, don't you know who he is? That's the question. There's a beautiful picture in the Old Testament of this entire idea. When Jesus tells this parable, go to the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Beautiful picture. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 9. I won't have you turn there. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you, those that really are serious about digging into this lesson, maybe you might want to go on our website. You could listen to a message I gave on 2 Samuel 9. But I'll just give you the quick highlight. Basically, the idea is this. There's a, there's, a, there's a dude there by the name of Mephibosheth. And what happens is that King David, who's a picture of Jesus, by the way, in the Old Testament, King David has it on his heart to fulfill a covenant that he had made with Jonathan. And, and the house of Saul, and, and so he's got this, this, this covenant that he wants to fulfill. And so this guy, Mephibosheth, who, by the way, is lame from a fall and lives in a place called Lodabar, which is literally translated a place of barrenness. place of barrenness. Now, you and I, we are lame from a fall, and we live in a place of barrenness. And what happens? David says, go find that guy. 
He's going to live in my house, and he's going to dine at my table. Says it four times in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's a picture of how God loves us. God is so faithful to love us. And listen, as we close, I want you to know, that's how God has loved you. If you have invited Christ to be your Lord and Savior, not only has God sent that servant to come to bring you to his house, but you're going to dine at his table. And listen, we, as his followers, that's the way we're supposed to live. Not like these guys, religious, all, hey, right place, right relationships, associate with the right people, you're poor, you're naked, you're blind, whatever, I got no time for you because you don't add anything to my equation. No. We've been loved by a God of grace and a God of mercy, and we've been called to act as his ambassadors, to see those that add nothing to our equation and to love them and to care for them because God has loved us and cared for us. Amen?